Ten years after, so prophetic, so many years ago. That rustling around in the background is a good friend of mine. We're going to talk to him here in a second. Roger Sales, uh, your host, call screener, engineer, news guy, sports guy, general manager, sales manager, all that wrapped here up in one. And uh, also your show host, of course. Radio Ranch is the title of our get-together on a daily basis. And we're on the People's Patriot Network. And uh, we're supposed to have today... Uh, uh, Patrick, uh, Ike, and, Ike and Patrick, Ike, uh, Salt and Pepper, and then something happened, so we're going to have to stick that back. Uh, and hopefully we'll be able to do that because that's the basis of the radio program is to go back over these important status arguments and stuff. But right before the show, I got reconnected with an old friend, and he called in right before the show. He's kind of technologically challenged, too, and said, well, I think I'm doing this right. And it's my friend Dennis. And, uh, Dennis, I'm so glad to hear from you, but you can cover that Thank if you, you want Thank to. you, Roger. It's great to be able to talk with you. I, sorry that I was making some uh, nervous, <laughs> you know, some cluttering in the background. The nuns used to complain about that, too. But anyway. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a, whole, that's a whole program in itself, isn't it? Um, oh, it is. Oh, it is, yes. Dennis, and I've, t- I've told yes. this story a few times on the air, and, uh, and uh, I, just one of the joys of writing the book and walking this path really and the path I've walked when the book was first released uh, I uh, took a trip up to northern Argentina to a little place south of the northernmost uh, city in Argentina called Salta and actually where the country was founded I guess you knew that Dennis and that's correct yes uh, I did and uh, uh, a big financial guy named Doug Casey pretty well known internationally uh, Great has, guy. Uh, has a huge, uh, well, it's an estancia is what he calls it. Uh, and it's, how, how big is that thing? Uh, 50,000 hectares or so. It was a real big piece of land. And it's something like that. They, he owns a lot of land besides that, though. Yeah. And, yeah. and herds of cattle and oh, stuff, yeah. you know, know, with his partner. His his partner has two G5s, you know, uh, airplanes. Yeah. I mean, it, they're, uh, you know, they're pretty well set up. Well, there. now his partner in this particular establishment, if I understand it right, is the former governor of the province of Salta, who yeah. ran against Nestor Kirshner when he was running and still alive for president after I got down there, or after they took over in 01, I guess. And, uh,. Supposedly made his money from smuggling drugs. Now I don't know whether that's true or not, but I heard that from a pretty reliable source. <laughs> so anyway, well, I, would, I wouldn't doubt. That. Uh, I wouldn't doubt that in the least, because because uh, um, uh, Doug calls him. Uh, what's he call him? Like a uh, oh, you know, a warlord. He's a warlord. Well, that's probably you know? that's probably very but, accurate. Regardless, they went Doug, in on partnership on this really big plot of land up there. Uh, up in a beautiful setting, and I know Dennis will agree with me here. It is oh, a spectacular it. setting up there in the middle of absolute nowhereville. Okay, right. And uh, it's in this nestled in this valley at five thousand feet up in the Andes. It's, there's not many people there. It's somewhat fairly pristine, and it's just delightful. And so twice a year, he tries to get his jet set international people to come in there and pay what, a quarter of a million dollars for a 
quarter acre land or something. Yeah. And then, oh, yeah. And then, of course, he'll build you a house on there as long as you use his construction company. And uh, <laughs> so he has a, a, twice a year, he's got a, a real nice open house for a week and invites people from all over the world. And they get you in there on this, oh, come commemorate, commemorate, and come uh, do all this with your fellows and like-minded people, all this stuff. And then they really try and pressure you to sell you a bunch of property. Regardless, I went up there very hat in hand, telling them out front, I ain't going to buy any property, but I want to come up and commiserate with these people that I haven't met and promote my book. And so uh, the first night we get up there and you had to pay I remember I was like 1,500 pesos or something, which wasn't much, but they had oh. these international chefs that Casey would fly in to cook the meals, and you had wonderful meals in these really unique settings. Like one of them, the one that was memorable to me, Dennis, was the one yes. in the vineyard out under the one oh. tree out there. I loved it. I, I loved it. It was fantastic. Girl, it was the whole, the whole the wine story and stuff like that. She knew her work. Yep. Oh, that was, that was marvelous. And just a delight meal out in the vineyard with uh, with white linen tablecloths on tables set out in in the vineyard and a sample and all the different wines and it was just delightful okay I did I'm just setting the table here for it was a delightful week and I thoroughly enjoyed it met some wonderful people this guy right here one of them and so the first night Cafajete, if you're Dennis's daughter-in-law, you say cafajete. If you're regular Argentinian or, or speak Spanish, you say cafajete. So, uh, but regardless, we're up there, and it's a neat little town. Uh, there's only about 12,000 people that live in it, but it does have some tourist activity, so there's a lot of good restaurants. I think there's 10 or 12 pretty decent restaurants there in that little town, and like most of them, they got a town square. And um, they had the registration in a artisan gallery that did paintings and artisan work, local artists. And it was, if I remember right, Dennis, it was a couple of steps above the ground. And so I went up there and did my, pay my pesos and got my little badge. And I stepped back out on the top step overlooking this scene of this beautiful little square and 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 a, a quite a gathering of people probably i don't know 70 80 people or more and they're all checking in and doing the same thing i just done and getting to know each other and all this stuff and i'm surveying that okay and i'm looking there and i hear this loud voice roger sales i heard you on the power hour <laughs> <laughs> So true. So and true. I said, I liked him right off, you know. And uh, so Dennis and I had a wonderful week together. We, we, we did a lot of dinners and laughs, and we had a few drinks, if I remember right. And uh, that was. Well, let, let me, let me, oh, say, let me that, say one thing. That, that week. That first night. That week. Yeah. Let me just put this in to, put, to give a, 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 a time frame for people. That was okay. the election when Obama got elected. Yeah. Or the second time. Second time. Yes. Yes. That was that week. So anyway, what were you going to say? I was going to say the first night, you know, we just met each other and we did, you know, had parties, drinking at the parties and stuff like that. And then we just stayed up till about two in the morning. We were drinking beer out in the, on the square, just have talking, you know, shooting the breeze. You telling me that you went to LSU and I went to Marquette and all this stuff, you know. And then two guys, one was crawling and the other one was sort of dragging his way across the, the, the square towards us. 
and they they look like they wanted to sit down with us. And if we find out these are two Argentine doctors who just went out and got looped, and, <laughs> and, and you know, we, we thought it was curious and funny. But I'll tell you, anyway, it, we had a great time. It was great a wonderful time. week, and Dennis and I have struck up a friendship that's lasted through these years, and uh, and I've even gotten to know his son a little bit, and. Uh, uh, so anyway, glad to have you back, and and I guess I'll just say Dennis had some you know uh, health personal health problems a while back, and it had an operation, and uh, so this is really the first time we've reconnected in a while. And I'm tickled to death to be able to talk with you and know that you're doing good. Um, Thank you. Yeah, man. So how's life treating you and all that? You getting through that? It's treating me real well. I uh, you know we do a lot of traveling, uh, my uh, wife and I, and um, recently we were in the deep south, as you know, because I just sent you some pictures. Yes, you did. And, and usually we never get beyond Oxford, Mississippi, but this year I pushed ahead. We go down to play golf, you know, and uh-huh. this year I pushed ahead down to LSU. I wanted to see Baton Rouge, and uh, it, it, it was great. It was wonderful. Today, actually, I have my old Miss hat on today. Tomorrow I'll put on my LSU hat. Actually, I change every other day. These, these, these Yankees up here just can't take be, it, you know. So. Be sure and wear it Saturday. Okay. Yes. Right. Right. <laughs> Dennis sends me. You know, it's funny. You sent me two pictures. I was really thrilled, uh, yeah. and and for reasons you don't know. Uh, for for ones, I've got a lot of fond memories in this in those years I spent around Baton Rouge. It's a stunningly lovely campus. I guess you got to see part of that. And it, what, it, beautiful campus. Okay. Uh, and uh, but you know the stadium and and Dennis sent me two pictures there in front of the stadium. One one was Mike the Tiger. LSU's one of the only schools in the country that's uh, gotten the blessings to have a live mascot, and they've had a live live Bengal Tiger. Well, since I was in school there and before that, uh, and you, you sent me a picture of the new Mike and his million dollar home. And uh, then you're uh, over uh, the Mike the Tiger bronze statue with the stadium in the background. Do you know the story right. on it? Do you know the story on LSU Stadium? You probably don't. No. Um, you know, your son, like we should say this for the audience, your son went to the University of Alabama. He's one of those people that was drawn down to Tuscaloosa and, and, and went through the Alabama system. So we got a little bit of the rivalry there in our relationship. But the uh, right. uh, University of Alabama is pretty well understood to be the program that Bear Bryant built. Yes. Okay. Well, do you know who built LSU's program? I don't. Huey P. Long. Really? Okay. And wow. Huey P. Long, story is he was from uh, northern Louisiana. I forget which town. But he ended up down at Tulane in law school. And uh, here comes Chris. Now, let's see. Uh, I'm going to have to test the new Skype system. No, it's not going to merge Chris in. So I'm going to call him back. Hold on just a second here, Dennis. I have to do. Oh, no problem. That's why I said I got to wear all these hats now, you know, thanks yeah, to yeah, Skype. Yeah. Um, so we'll call Chris back. He'll get on. Um, so uh, he went down to Tulane and he had some sort of a urinating match with Tulane. I don't know what it was about. But anyway, he left Tulane. He went up the road 90 miles to LSU. And he ended up going through LSU's law school and all that. So he's really uh, uh, had a, a penchant towards the school. And then he got elected governor. And he was a very powerful governor, obviously. And uh, he went in and he supported LSU. And he went in and he tried to get a bill through the legislature to build him a new stadium. And his political rivals defeated it. And so he went back to the drawing board 
and he came back with a bill to build new dormitories, and they okayed it. And when they built the dormitories, there's a football stadium inside. <laughs> okay. And that, that is, that's the story of LSU Stadium. And I used to, the reason I said it tickled my memories is because the first semester I was there, I lived in one of those rooms. <laughs> ah, God. So, uh, that's an interesting story. Yeah, yeah it is. Uh, you know, it's a, he, he, they, um, there was a, a recently, they did it this fall. I've, I mentioned it. We don't talk about all this too much, but since Patrick and I weren't supposed to be here, hey, Chris, welcome on board, man. Uh, and you called in, and this has come up. Um, there was a wonderful series uh, that was played this fall, and it was done through SEC Network. They've got their own network now in connection with ESPN. And it's called Saturdays in the South. Did you happen to hear anything about that, Dennis? You'd probably enjoy this. Nope. No, well, I didn't, but I'm going to look into it. Well, there was an eight-part series, hour and a half per segment, and it went back all the way to the beginning histories of football in the South and football in the U.S., and it traced it through decade by decade, okay? And it's very, very interesting. And they had their segment on LSU and the years, Billy Cannon years and all that. The ones were kind of even have surpassed this year. Um, but – Back then, Vanderbilt had a pretty good team, and they were playing LSU. And uh, and I think that the tickets were $28 to go from Baton Rouge to Vanderbilt for the game. And so they long wanted the student body up there to support the team. And so he went to the – because the railroad was in Louisiana, he went to the president of the railroad. He said, I'd like for you to drop the tickets for our students to get up there. And he said, no. And he said, okay, well, you cross this many bridges that the state has paid for, and, and we're going to raise your taxes on, ta on taking your trains across those bridges. <laughs> oh, boy. And the guy went back. He said, okay, $6 a ticket. And then Long went out with a handful of money, and the students that didn't have the money gave him $6 and said, pay me back, and I'm sure none of them ever did. Uh, we did sure. win that game. But, uh, no, it's a rich history, rich, very rich tradition and history there. And I, I'm really glad you got to experience a little bit of it. I'm sorry well, that too. you couldn't experience it on a Saturday night. Oh, that's what I've heard. It's supposed to be something. It, it is. Uh, there's no place like it. I mean, it. I don't know if it's still. I, I heard the girls wear dresses and the men wear uh, sport coats. And that might have been in the far past. I don't know. That's, I don't, no, that's, no, that's you're, getting that, you're getting that confused with Ole Miss. <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, maybe so. Maybe so. Let me tell you, when I was in school there in the fraternity I was in, we had this one guy, and and you did. They would dress up back then. I don't think they do it as much now. They dress up in these weird damn costumes. Um, yeah. But this guy was pretty famous for drinking and fighting. And so we, the student uh, section has its own section right there, and of course, and we go in, and he goes in, and he gets in a fight in the first quarter, and they get him and throw him out and say, "Kick the guy out in the brown suit." So he goes back to the frat house, changes to the green suit, comes back. He got in a fight in every quarter and got kicked out. Oh, oh my God! Now I'll tell you another <laughs> funny story from those days. One of my fraternity brothers was a guy, and I'll never forget him. His name was Bubby Valentino. And he's one of these Italians from New Orleans, kind of short, about five foot four, and a fabulous gymnast. And he, his daddy owned the Royal Orleans Hotel. 
so he came from a pretty affluent family. And so yeah. uh, he, uh, he happened to get on the cheerleading squad. And he is the one, if anybody ever remembered that, when, the, when LSU comes out of the, onto the field, they come under the, the field goal there out of that tunnel. And he, the cheerleader is Bubby. He would do somersaults in front of the team all the way to the 50-yard line. I mean, 50, oh a brrr, like a little top, okay? And, yeah. And then they would, back in those days, Mike the Tiger, who you saw in the cage, they had a portable cage. And they would take him on a track inside the field, and they'd pull him all around the stadium once, and then right over by where the team, opposing team, was coming out, they'd park it. And as the opposing team would come in out, they'd beat on the cage and hold a microphone up so he'd roar, and they'd pipe it over the PA system. Okay? Oh, my gosh. And so... Bubby, <laughs> I remember him telling us this story. He said, man, I was a brand new first time I was cheerleading and I do my somersault thing and we're doing the Mike the Tiger thing and I'm so fired up, you know, and I start going over and banging on the trailer and he said, that tiger lunged at me and growled and he said, his breath knocked me back 50 yards. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah, funny well, speaking stuff. Of, speaking of breath, I uh, I was happy to uh, to see that uh, Billy Cannon, who I didn't know much about, was a dentist. You know, yes, and I, had, I had forty five years. I had 40, 45 years of that myself. Yeah. So I was uh, happy to happy to know that. Well, he was also a counterfeiter. I hope you hadn't followed him down I, that path. <laughs> I haven't tried that yet. You know, that's probably do good. You know, only, <laughs> do you do you know that there's only two? Um, uh, Things mentioned in the Constitution, uh, unlawful things. One is counterfeiting, and the other is treason. <laughs> I mean, period. And man, we got. I think that's. And we got. I think people. We got a boatload of both of those. Not only going on's been going on. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Oh Lord of mercy! Well, you sound great. Okay. Well, and, thank you very and much. I'm yeah. just thrilled. And as Dennis and I, he called in right before the show. I was just tickled to death to see him call in, and we got a chance to chat a minute before we went on. And uh, so you've become aware of Mr. Joe Tippin's information. Yes, I have. Yeah. Yeah. As a matter of fact, just yesterday, however, I go to an alternative clinic for what I need. And they were all talking about it, but I didn't know anything about it. And then I found it yesterday, read the whole thing, and uh, I'm very concerned about doing it. Well, ev evidently, that information must be spreading like literal wildfire driven by the Santa Ana winds around the globe. Is what I gather. I think I'm going to have to grab enough of it, uh, so you know, in case the controllers shut it down. Well, I don't think they can because of its basic usage. But from one of the one of the the guy said on the tape, which I just sent you a minute ago, uh, this Joe Tippin, uh, and he said it is the recognized treatment globally for parasites. From everything from goldfish to elephants. Wow. Fenbendenzazole. That's it. How, you're lucky you can say it. You got all that scientific yeah. background. I've got a Latin background. Yeah, there you go. That's right. 
Now, you know, listen, I should say, Dennis, uh, for the audience's sake, one of the things that Dennis, as he's woken up, he was, uh, you know, you probably tell he went to a Jesuit university. He's been steeped in that all his life, and he's finally becoming reformed. And one of the things Dennis is doing in retirement is going all over the world to chasing knowledge on Jesuits and this whole thing from that angle, which I find very interesting. I know you have probably haven't been able to do too much of that lately, Dennis, but what... Uh, well, I've, I've done it on the Internet. On the Internet, I have. And, yeah? Yeah. Well, what's, uh, where are you at on all that these days? I'm st- I think there's a tremendous correlation, correlation with the people who run the Jesuits. I think they're they're basically Jews, and yep. they I think they always have been. Yep. And uh, so I don't know. You know, I mean, the Jesuits blame everything on the Jews, <laughs> and it's just you know, it's a big game they play. Yep. But they're behind. They're behind every absolute thing. I think they're the pinnacle of all of this, and I think that they probably they work with the guys at the Grand Orient Lodge which I think is the other center point where all this comes out of. And I believe it's a coordination between those two power points that's run the world and has done all this. That's a conclusion I've come to after many years. Well, what I've, what I've heard recently is, I mean, the Jesuits are the holders of the real estate for those people, because those people don't want to hold that real estate. They hold it in the name of the Jesuits and it's always theirs. And so, you know, that that was one of their big jobs. I was commenting yesterday. No, it's okay. Uh, because I got an example just right up the road from me here a little bit, where I am in Ecuador. Um, beautiful spot down here, by the way, Dennis. You, I, I hope you can get down here one of these days, and we'll get a chance to have a... Well, I've been to Ecuador many times, I, I told know. you. I lived well, there for I, uh, about but, four months one time. Love it. Oh, I love it down there. Where did you live? What city did you live in? Cuenca. Oh, okay, you went up to Cuenca. Okay. Went down, yeah. to, to, down to Cuenca. Excuse me. Um, yeah. Uh, Dad, uh, the, uh, I was commenting yesterday... That as I was years ago, as I was putting a lot of these things together in my mind, it hit me that back in even to the 1800s, there's only a couple of central banks in the world. Okay, but even yeah. in the 1800s, virtually every city on the face of the globe had a Catholic Catholic church or one or more, uh, at least one in the most prime real estate. They always yep. get the most prime real estate for their churches. And no taxes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the Jesuits hold all the deed, all, all the deeds to all that. You're breaking up a little bit with me oh, here. Okay. I'm sorry. The Jesuits own the de- the land deeds to all that. The Jesuits hold those for the like the black nobility. Right. Yikes. Well, they got theirs coming. Don't know when they're going to get it, but I know it's coming, and I know the results are going to be severe. Uh, we hope they do. Yep, yep. Come on. I was going to welcome you, Chris, and see how you're doing today, and if you had anything to add and introduce you to my friend Dennis. Dennis, this is Chris. Hi, uh, these, Hi Chris. Good these, to know you. Good these, morning, no, but Good let me morning tell you Dennis. What. Great to hear you, and I'm appreciating your conversation. I just wanted to clarify something. Uh, you're talking about controlled opposition blame one and they blame the other back and forth and when we look at the word the jesuits it might be the jew suits <laughs> the zoot suits there you it's, go. it's the same thing because it always goes back to flavius augustus constantinus constantine the great the council at nicaea where they assimilated all church and state under their ecclesiastica that's the Holy Roman Catholic Christos Synagogue of Satan, 
posed as the Catholic Church. Thank you. Check. When were the <laughs> now the Jesuits were officially founded to fight the Protestant Revolution Reformation, right? Well, and also, and also, they were devoted to the the work of the Pope, supposedly, supposedly, you know. But uh, yeah, I mean, the two most prominent ones of those are Ignatius Loyola and yeah. uh, Francis Xavier, who were both conversos. Ah, and I know you know what that is. I know what that is. Yeah. So they were both conversos. You've, have you established that? Yeah, well, yes, I even tried to do it with a Jesuit down at Marquette, and he said, oh, well, that's alleged. You know, they always say that. Of that's course. alleged. You know, unless, I, unless they want to believe, then it's written in stone, you know. Well, it was the habit of the day at that time. Yeah. Well, to preserve your life, you know. Well, okay. Uh, or maybe even more so just to be devious from the start. But I guess it was uh, maybe Absolutely, a product yeah. of necessity. You had the guy telling Jacob Frank if he didn't if he didn't convert he's going to lose his head yeah and now right. that's interesting because Jacob Frank who did convert at least on the surface but continued their dubious practices in the background in the closet in the in the crawl space and any other dark spot they could find uh <laughs> ended up leaving uh, the uh, Byzantine Empire and retiring up in northern Germany, I can say it, northern Germany up by Frankfurt. And I, I have put together in my mind that that probably is the influence from Jacob Frank that founded the Illuminati or was in on it. Right. He was, that's, that's Rothschild's town, isn't it? Yep, 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 yep. Yeah. Oh, there's so much hit. Yep. So anyway, there's a lot of nefarious stuff went on. It's, it's uh, uh, amazing it's taken this long for people to become re-energized and interested in it in mass, but that is happening. There's a, the, the consciousness worldwide is raising on this issue by the day. And uh, because of conversations like these that you'd have never heard 10, 15 years ago, for the most part, unless it was some obscure source somewhere. So uh, it's wonderful to see the worm turn a little bit, the optimism it brings me on a daily basis. Because, man, when I got into this, there was no light at the end of the tunnel, okay? Yeah, I believe it. Yeah. They still look pretty powerful. but Well, they do, but it's the appearance. And there's so many. What's happening to me, Dennis, is they're experiencing the death of a thousand cuts, and I couldn't be happier about it. Oh, yes. Yeah. I hear you. Yeah. So today we were supposed to talk with uh, one of my good listeners, one of the newer students, been around a year or so, owns a business, towing business down there in Memphis area, and, and a very interesting sidekick of his, Dennis, who he met. He was doing a prison ministry, and mm -hmm. uh, he, yes. he met this guy who was still in prison at the time. And uh, he, instead of lifting weights, had gone in and done the law course. And he became very, very expert in law. And his name's Ike, and he's a real nice guy. They call him Salt and Pepper because when he got out of prison, uh, Patrick hired him to do all his legal work because he's always fighting the city and all the different situations. And uh, Ike's done a great job. And so he, 
Patrick got turned on to my stuff, and we've turned Ike on to it, and they want to file all the paperwork. And But he still got some questions, and he wanted to have me do a, a one-on-one with Ike and get him through it. And I said, well, let's bring it on the air so everybody can benefit off of it. And we just hadn't been able to put it together. It was scheduled for the third time today and didn't come off. So that was very serendipitous there's a nice word for you serendipitous that yeah. you called and you and i hooked up yesterday and you're out there listening and stuff so tickled to death to have you back on board dennis me too thank you roger yeah it's a it's a friendly voice i hear when i hear your voice well good thank you and i'm really anxious because you're the first person i would know um uh personally to uh maybe take uh this ferendibazol whatever however you say it um you have to get wormed. <laughs> oh, yes, yes, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, I, I, you know, I'm encouraged by that guy. I mean, I'm encouraged just by watching him on the uh, his presentation, you know. And, you, I, you know, wait, I don't have anything to lose. Wait till you, you see. Know? Wait till you see. Have you seen a video of Joe Tippins yet with his story? Uh, no. Well, that's what I see. You said what you said to me. Yep. I, I saw him a little bit. I heard him and stuff like that, but I didn't see him, you know, uh, you know, uh, verbalizing the whole time. But well, as soon as yeah, you watch yeah, that yeah, video, yeah, as soon as you watch that video, you'll be out the door hunting some of that stuff down. I'm going to predict. Now, the other thing I, mean, I mentioned be, to I Dennis, Amazon too, you know? yeah, uh, you might could. Um, the other thing I mentioned to Dennis that he wasn't familiar with is stem enhance. And I said, buddy, you got to get on this stuff. And I mean, quick. Um, Dennis, it's, uh, the guy that's promoting it is Bill still. Does that name ring a bell with you? Is he, is he that PhD chemist out there in uh, no. Stanford? No, he's no? the guy okay. that no. did a couple of, he's a great Patriot. He's been in the trenches as long as I have been. And back in the nineties, he was the first guy that did a real documentary thing called the money masters on the federal reserve. And you could usually only get it on VHS, and somebody had dubbed it two or three times. It was a real poor copy, but it was very, very chock full of good information. Then a number of years later, in 2010 or 11, he did a Hollywood production quality style documentary that won the documentary of the year in 2011, and you can find it on YouTube. And it is titled The Secrets of Oz. And if you've never seen that, I highly advise you or anybody else that's never and this watched Bill's that. Bill who did it? Yes. It's okay, called the, okay. the Secrets of Oz, and it'll pop right there up in YouTube. It's almost two hours or a little over two hours long, and it is Hollywood quality produced, and it is excellent. He even goes to the point of going over to England and getting the permission from the from one of the big museums over there, and they actually, even though they had to wear gloves, pull out and handle and explain tally sticks. Huh. Okay. So yeah. It's very, very well done, highly encouraged. Anyway, Bill's the one that's doing a lot of promotion on this and on his daily excerpts and stuff. And But some of the testimonials that are coming out of people using this stuff, Dennis, are phenomenal. Fantastic. The, the oh, history, oh, I'm sorry. This with the stem cells. Stem yes, cell. okay, yes. I'm sorry. it's called stem. Yeah. Well, they got several products. The one that we're, we're using, and I guess the primary one's called stem, in, in, uh, stem Cell Enhance Ultra. And here's the story on it. As I told you briefly, 
it, it comes from one area in the world only that they've ever found, right. and that's Lake Klamath, Oregon area. And at Lake yeah. Klamath, it's a unique natural setting that the waters that fill the lake run through some kind of mineral beds or stratas or something. And as it dumps into the lake, it grows a very unique algae. And about 40 or 50 years ago, they noticed the locals and the Indians coming there, and they were retaining their health, and they had tremendous benefits from it. And they actually started doing scientific research four decades ago on it. And they found all of this stuff. They, this company started, it's called Cerule, C-E-R-U-L-E, and it started about 20 years ago. And it was a networking company, and it was mainly... Uh, some people in New Zealand and Australia were some of the real movers and shakers, from what I understand. And as the company went along, it somehow got corporatized, and the corporation got out of kilter on their budgets, and they started scrimping on the ingredients, and the quality went down. And these guys were came back in, took the company over, have put in new formulations and new technology stuff, and re-energized the company. And I heard about it from, I think I'd seen Bill on some of the things I'd watched talking about it, but I didn't move on it. Well, a friend of mine from Atlanta, who's a retired Delta Airline pilot, lives over in uh, uh, the Far East now, and he runs a flight simulator over there, and he's a real good friend of ours, you know. And... Uh, he called me on it one night, which he didn't call very often, said, you got to try this stuff, all right? And it was back in June, and they were having a special, and I wasn't in a, a position to do it. And so it was another month or so, and I finally uh, tried it. And within – I did it for my eyes, Dennis, because of this macular degeneration I'm trying to fight. And okay. because of my foot accident a year and a half ago. You, you knew about that, right? I did. Yes, I did. Well, I mean, you know, my foot was turned 45 degrees in. Every tendon or ligament or something was broken, and it was pretty severe. I had three operations and stuff, and it's been about Holy a year. And it's been about 14, 15 months now, and I got off the walking aids and stuff, I don't know, six months ago, but it was still hitching on me. And wasn't didn't feel. It felt tight, and it certainly, if you've been sitting or laying down, when you got up, it took three, four, five, maybe seven or eight steps before your th your foot got grooved into where it felt normal, all right? And that was the other yeah. reason I wanted to get it and take it. So I started taking it. I had a couple other situations, but I had these cramps, and I don't know if anybody's got these or had them, but I know somebody else's girlfriend had one. All of a sudden, you're sitting there, and the, these cramps start rippling across your rib, rib cage. The muscles on oh, the outside of your rib cage just start seizing up and in your abdomen and it's excruciatingly painful comes out of nowhere day or night all right and i'd been having them for a year or more and i just didn't know what i was deficient in and so that was a side benefit within within a couple of days after starting to take this those were gone i didn't notice it for a few weeks as i looked back and i said hell i hadn't had one of those in two or three weeks you know so it took care of that my my I, I sense over a couple of months my eyesight's getting a little sharper. A lot of people say that with this, uh, and then uh, my foot was getting better. And I added collagen in last week, and in two days I could tell the difference. Collagen evidently is like fertilizer for stem cells. And okay. uh, but the most amazing thing that happened was that hammock fall, because there is no other explanation. 
for a guy that's 71 years old, you fall about 15 inches, land on five feet of solid concrete, and the next day don't feel anything happened? Yeah, yeah. Hmm. I mean, there's no other explanation, Dennis. Has it, has, I mean, it, it has healed it or made it feel better, right? It did. I couldn't feel anything the next day. I mean, I was shocked, all right? I fell on the upper part of your your hip where it's flat. Now, I'm 71. A lot of people would have broken their hip, really. Sure. But that night, I could feel their soreness. And my buddy, who you'd like, Mike, I hope you get a chance to meet him one of these days, um, was out there helping me hang this hammock. And he said, wrote me that night on IM, and he said, boy, I bet you're going to be sore tomorrow because it's a pretty severe fall. And... I, I felt sore that night. I could feel something had happened back there in a couple of spots. And so the next morning when I got up, I stuck my hand back there to feel. Hell, I couldn't feel anything had happened, man. It was like nothing ever happened. I was absolutely flabbergasted. And there's no other explanation. Now, what I think happened that we found out subsequently is this. In all the research that's been done on this stem cell stuff, they have found the body has a layer in it that normally when it's healthy and it's based on collagen, it absorbs the, the extra stem cells that are released but are not directed at a specific area. And so the body has a layer where it stores the stem cells as in a reserve army ready to be called out when needed. And I think that's what happened with my back. There's no other explanation that, I, that makes sense to me. Marvelous. I'm glad it I'm glad it worked. Well, what you need to do is we'll get you on this and I'll get with you on the side and we'll get you some, but at least try it for a month or two, okay? Because I think yeah. it, it it makes me feel so much first of all about 20, 25, 30 years younger, okay? And you got energy and and that just helps your day cuz it brightens everything you do when you're not feeling bad and all that stuff, tired. But it, uh, you don't need as much sleep, it appears. Uh, I wake up in the morning. I, I've drank two cups of coffee my entire life. I only drink one cup of coffee now. Okay? Very good. And no. I take those pills right after that first cup of coffee. You take them on an empty stomach, and you can take them at a, uh, a regimen of every three hours. Best to take on an empty stomach. One of the... Uh, testimonials we heard when I was first getting into this was pretty amazing, though, Dennis. Uh, John and Kathy are involved in this, as well as Jim Ram. And uh, this story was floating around. I don't have it documented, uh, but they just told me, you know, there's on that. If you want to go look at it, this, the website is stemcellhealthy.com. There's a bunch of testimonials on there categorized on whatever the category is. But Kathy was telling me about this guy. For some reason, he only had half a heart. Okay? And he was still alive. He was yep. able to live through it. But uh, I don't know if it's an accident or birth defect or what. But he was scheduled for a heart transplant. And, of course, you know, you get on a list, and when everything's optimum, they call you. Well, in the interim between when he got on the list and he started taking stem cell, I don't know the the uh, frequency or anything but he got the call for the heart transplant and he went in for the pre-op operation the doctor said your heart's grown back yeah i mean that's what stem cells are supposed to do and i i mean i believe it 
Well, I'll talk to you on the side because this is a real powerful product, and everybody that's taken is really excited about it. And in your yeah. particular situation, I can't help but think it would help. Thank you. Yep. Thank yep. you very we'll much. We'll do that. So that's pretty cool. Everything else going along all right. Ecuador's nice. We had a little disruption down here recently, but that appears to be on the side of the road at this point, although our neighbors are having a lot of problems. Uh, Bolivia's got their share. Chile's got some. Colombia's having a few. Panama's getting a little uppity. And Venezuela's been in the ditch for a long time. Doug is talking about that all the time. He, 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 they're all falling apart. But, um, I mean, he considers that good. You know? <laughs> uh, I should say uh, Jack sent something out on our little forum that we have on WhatsApp. Uh, Daniel Estevan. Estulon? Love him. I love him. Well, he's doing some program in Canada uh, tomorrow, Friday or Saturday, and is going to go into a lot of the background on what's happening down here in South America. I'll, I should go over and maybe find, dig that up and, and see if I can give the information. But uh, there's a lot more coming. And obviously the thing in Bolivia was, uh, uh, was CIA, OAS uh, driven. Um, He's very were, lucky he escaped with his life. Yes, he is. He's very lucky. Yeah. Um, that we've got our problems here because of the deal that Correo cut with with China and the U.S. coming in here. Evidently, what happened in our situation down here, Dennis, is that remember the Panama Papers a couple of years ago? Yes, I that do. That was evidently a CIA operation. Because They've got the nose and everything. Well, Despicable. It, because of the people that were exposed, you could tell that they were selective exposure. All right. Well, evidently, they caught wind in that of Moreno's private accounts. And the story that I'm getting, that I've seen, and I think is very plausible, is that they went in and leveraged Moreno to, uh, c uh, to take the IMF loans. Okay. And, uh, the, of course, yeah. the backlash is everything off IMF. And uh, oh, what do you think about Argentina? I should say if I didn't, we didn't emphasize it. Dennis has a daughter-in-law who is an Argentinian. She's great. She's a great gal. Is she? Yeah. Great. Oh, God, yeah. She's a big executive at, at – uh, I'm trying to think where – it used to be Home Depot, but uh, I can't remember. I can't yeah. remember who. But she's a wonderful girl, just okay. wonderful. Wonderful. Good for your son. Uh, what does she think yep. about the uh, transition that goes on this month here next week? Next, uh, let's see, next Monday is the uh, inauguration of the Peronists are back in power. God help the Argentinians. No kidding. Yeah, I haven't talked to her about it, but boy, what a terrible circumstance that is. They're 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 in they're in the old proverbial rock and hard place position. Those folks are down there. I predicted when Macri came in and took that IMF loan, I said, you know, look, Peronis will be back in three and a half years. Boom. Uh, skullduggery. My yep. God. Yeah. Yep, yeah, it's too bad because you've spent some time down there. Argentina's it's a nice country, man. I love it, too. Yeah, very nice people. Big difference from Ecuador. I don't know about – I haven't lived in Colombia or Peru or any of these adjacent countries, but, boy, it's a big difference from here. Yeah. Oh, definitely. You know, and, and more refined. They're refined people, and, I mean, it's, uh, as they say, the Paris of uh, South America – Gorgeous. Yeah, I mean, my, my actually my favorite is Uruguay. I really love Uruguay. Do you? But 
Oh, yeah, it, it, it's communist and stuff, but, uh, you know, I don't get involved in any of that. And stay away from them. <laughs> it doesn't appear to have a real detrimental effect on the country. Uh, Uruguay, I was mentioning it, it the other day, is a very, very nice country. When I first got down there, it's very small. If you don't mind humidity, it's fantastic. Yeah. The other thing, yeah. as, my, as my Uruguayan friend said, Ariel, uh, he said, we have no natural disasters. None. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Uh, if you're a beach person up there towards Brazil, is some of the most desolate oceanfront land left on the globe. Uh, Gorgeous. That's, I guess, reasonable prices. I never made it up there. I heard about it. Did you go? Did you go to Punta del Este? Oh yes. Yeah. One of my favorite. I, I ended up writing a book about restaurants, you know, throughout throughout the world. It's only about twelve or fourteen restaurants I talked about, but one of my favorites is is up there, and it's a steak place. It's really I can't even remember the name of it right now, but um, really, I love that place. You know, as long as you don't have to get involved in the big prices, you know. Right, right. Well, for the audience, for the audience who doesn't know, uh, uh, Uruguay is nestled between Brazil and Argentina, and Paraguay on the western side a little bit. And because it of that location, it had become over the decades uh, basically what they called the Switzerland of South America because it was wide open financially. And I'm sure a bunch of the drug money and all that Argentine and Brazilian money and stuff, at one point there in, uh, in Uruguay, there's a town, they tell me, Dennis, that the main street is the border. And so there's no border checks or anything. You just walk from one side of the street to the other, and you go from Uruguay to oh, Brazil. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah Ariel, Ariel told me about that. So a lot of money ended up down there. I'm sure a lot of it was hot money, and it became a real, real banking and financial center, and uh, it is today. And so uh, nice <coughs> country. The main city is called Montevideo. Very interesting, nice big city. It's got a stunning natural deep harbor that really has put it on the map um the country has about three million people in total and a million and a half of them are in montedeo now about you can correct me if i'm wrong 60 to 90 kilometers north of montedeo is this little miami beach of south america that we referred to a minute ago called punta p-u-n-t-a it's three words Punta del Este, I believe it's E-S-T-A-Y or E-S-T-A or whatever E-S-T-E. 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 Uh, where, like I said, it's the Miami Beach, South America, I'm told, uh, where you see all the string bikinis and all the, the rich and famous and beautiful and all that during January and February. Right. And I'm told if you own a piece of property down there, like an apartment or a condo, that you can literally pay a year's mortgage off what you can charge in January and February for people to stay in it. Yeah, it's unbelievable. But, uh, yeah, that's Uruguay. And the north of... All the Europeans go there, too. You know, a lot of Europeans oh, go there. Oh, yeah, I'm so sure. So the prices are wild. Yeah, yeah. Well, uh, and then north of... Let me, let, me, let, me thing. let me add one thing about yeah. Uruguay. Yeah, yeah. Do you, know, you know, right downtown, there's a very... Big Jesuit University, yeah, no, of I course. Didn't know that. Oh yeah, yeah, and you know they say they were behind all the banking down there too. You know, I they're, they're behind everything. 
Is it on that big square that's right in the middle where they've got the, uh, uh, they used to have the prop of the uh, Grand Graph Spray there? Yeah, yeah, no, it's not. It's right off the right off that street, yeah, just yeah. a couple blocks. Yeah, off. the Central Bank, yeah. all that. It's really cool. Now, the way that you get back and forth from Uruguay to Argentina is called the Buki Bus. Did you ride that, Dennis? Yeah, absolutely. Okay, well, the Buki Bus. I've talked about it on the air before. There's only two places in the world it operates, and one is on that distance between Uruguay and Argentina, and the other is between the North and South Islands of New Zealand. And it, it's not a ca- one of those that comes up on fins, but it is a big, huge catamaran. And I'd say that thing's three, 350, 350 feet long, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Big, 400, very big. maybe. Uh, it carries Absolutely. 200, 250 people, and it's a ferry. It carries cars and all kinds of stuff back and forth. And I'm telling you, the new one, if you've been on, you had not been down there since they got the new one, have you? I probably have not, no. Well, they got a new one named Papa. I mean, it's named after the Pope, you know, and they, they call it oh, Papa. God. Oh, man, it had a big inauguration thing. I got on it. I don't know how long it had been in operation, but not long. And the new one, you sail, you, you, you travel the reach there from Buenos Aires, and it's a little longer than straight across the river because you got the reach all the way down to Montevideo. And it's a pretty good that river mouth is the largest river mouth in the world. Did you know that, Dennis? I, I'm, I think it is. Yeah, it's about yeah, it's 60 a, miles across. No, no, no. It's 250. 250 miles across? Yeah, baby. Wow. Okay. It widens out wow. there, the River de la Plata, you know. And so as yeah. you sail the reach down in Montevideo is closer to the mouth. And that dadgum boat goes 55 knots loaded yeah wow it's, it's an about, exciting ride that's 70 miles an hour man in a boat in a catamaran full of people and stuff i mean it's incredible to me and it's smooth okay so you yep. sail this reach down to uh, montevideo to this beautiful stunning natural harbor deep water natural harbor and you pull in there and right there because the harbor is where all of the commercial activity took place because that's where all the boats unloaded and loaded so all the downtown district is boom right there when you step off the boat you're in it okay and it's very cool it's very cool yeah yeah I uh, I enjoyed my times over there. I spent I spent a good bit of time more than I wanted to in Montevideo. Uh, yeah, but uh, well, I know you had, some, you had some last minute uh, pickups and stuff, oh, didn't man, you? I had, all, I had all kinds of problems when I was down there, but I did yeah. enjoy it, and I I got to meet a a guy that became real good real good friends with, who's a musician down there, and uh, met him the first trip in one of the first nights I was there, and we got to be very good friends. And uh, he's a dentist too, by the way. I oh, think I meant yeah he, yeah he, he, that was his career he he uh, teach he, he does a lot of the work at the university now teaching and then working in the clinic I guess with it I hadn't talked to him in a while good guy though um, let's see if you want to get to something nobody's wanted to call in Dennis called in and we're just going to have a Thursday get your hair day uh, where we talk about anything but it's a little less stressful usually on Thursdays to me it seems. Anybody Can wants I add to... one more comment? Yeah, absolutely. Anytime. What you got? I was just going to say, this is about uh, uh, 
Uruguay. The president goes to work in a um, in a VW yep. bug yep. with no bodyguards. Right. No bodyguards. And he doesn't you live know, and he won't live in the presidential palace. He lives in his old home. Right. Yeah. So anyway, I don't know if that's meritorious or not, but uh, worth mentioning. Well, yeah. I mean, they're, they're, it's a nice country. I enjoyed it, uh, my time there. And if it wasn't for the humidity, the humidity is what I hated. That's what I'm trying to get away from, you know. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, uh, But otherwise than that, it's a nice country. I was going to say somebody when I first got down there and was spent time over there and I was commenting to them, this is in Argentina, on how much it was like the states in the 50s, right? And he yeah. said, you go into the middle of Uruguay, and it's like the U.S. in the 30s. <laughs> <laughs> and I believe that, okay? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Lord of mercy. Chris, what's going on with you, man? Is Chris even with us? I changed my Skype program today because of you, Chris. Well, I had to uh, unmute, and I had been in another screen, so I had to get back to this one. It wasn't that easy. Yeah, yeah. But, you know, this travel log you're doing uh, is being marvelously inviting and informative and uh, learning about the different places in South America. I had looked at going to uh, the Rio Serpe at one time down in that very near Ecuador location. Oh. And... uh, a number of different diving expeditions and treasure hunting and swinging metal detectors, running gold sluices and that sort of stuff that I'm pretty experienced in. And But it never came to fruition, but maybe before I croak, I'll be able to come down there and visit. Well, I'll tell you what, it's a nice part of the country, Dennis particularly, and I do, of course, because I live here. I, you cannot beat the climate where I am right now. I don't believe you can beat it anywhere in the world for the cost of living. Absolutely. It's wonderful. It, it, it is just well, like out of a textbook, man. I mean, literally, the climate is spectacular. Every morning I get out. Dennis, I live in this little place, and, and here's a background on it. Um, my friend, the chiropractor's father, came down here, and he built, found this about a, a half an acre, maybe. And, and it's a lengthy half an acre. It's not square. It's more rectangular. And uh, they were going to have a spa built in they're real health conscious and workout and all that stuff and he he dropped a pretty good bit bit of money in this thing it's got a hot and a wet and dry sauna a little pool one of those pools where you swim against the current uh with an adjacent hot tub um it's got two different buildings and the driveway my building's at the back of the property drive to the back on that rectangle and it's all paved with little what they call i can't remember the bricks that they do all the streets in and uh but he put a bunch of money into the uh landscaping of it and as you drive along that driveway maybe 100 yards a little less there's like 15 different hibiscus trees and every one of them a different color and so every morning when i step out man the the yellow one is the one that blows me away there is no less than 20 big hand size yellow hibiscus on that branch every day on that plant every day you know and there's i got 15 avocado trees on the property uh mandarins lemons all kinds of stuff it's fabulous it sounds wonderful and now i got the new i got the new internet yesterday so i can actually hook up without any problems man listen i'm getting tremendous 
speed on this little thing that's supposed to be giving me 10 up and 10 down. I ran the speed test on it. I got, I'm getting 50 download megs a second and 30 up. And I'm in, oh, I'm in hog heaven, man, really. It's been what, such a wonderful change. But, uh, but, yeah, it's real nice. It's pretty quiet. I'm out in the country a little bit. And, What's uh, the name of the town, Roger, please? Koya Key. It's right, uh, I, hell, I don't. C O L L A Q U Y, I think. Something that's, that's, <laughs> that's close. That's close. Okay. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's, it, it's, a, it's a little offshoot of Tumbaco, about halfway to the new airport on a different road. But it's real nice. It's quiet. A little bit of bad dirt road, not much to get here. They hadn't paved it yet. But, uh, but it's real quiet and nice. I like it out here. But the, the climate in Ecuador, man, it's just unbeatable. It's wonderful, isn't it? Yes. Yep, it, it is. Yeah, Roger, Roger and Dennis, you yes. mentioned the financial advantageous aspects and the, uh, the what's called the livability index there where you're at. Here in Las Vegas, the sun shines 325 days a year, statistically speaking. However, there's a more important gauge, I think, for livability, and that would be what I would term the freedom index, which is exponentially lower here in the States because of the Bolshevik march that's on of these Sabbateans that are trying to uh, undermine America and take this place over and turn it into a sodomite pedophile uh, center of special operations to uh, destroy the innocence of children. But lovely, where you're at, apparently the Freedom Index and the government intervention is uh, fairly minimal at the present time and hope it stays that way down there in the freer part of South America where you're enjoying your lifestyle. Oh, well, you got to understand this area that I'm in is the most affluent area in general in the country. So I can't speak for the rest of the country and I know there's a lot of poverty, but I would say uh, with very few exceptions, possibly that if you're a gringo down here, you're not in too much trouble. No, I think they like us. Yeah, they do actually seem to. I mean, they don't like the CIA. You know. <laughs> well, I don't either. I'm with them. I, I, I don't either. <laughs> Once again, that was a Jesuit foundation also. People find it hard to believe. Uh, Dennis, they, if, they, they, if, yeah. if, you, if you get to come down, we got one hell of a nice group of expats here. Great. Now, that's the one thing that I'm real thrilled about is the support group is just wonderful. And I can appreciate it because it was such an opposite in Argentina. But we got a couple of retired State Department guys in our group, real good guys. Uh, they know the secrets. A uh, retired federal law enforcement guy that's been a lot of military and stuff that's a real good guy. Starting to educate him a little bit. It's slow. We're, we're, we're taking our time. Uh, but some real, a couple of guys that are locally successful businessmen. There's one guy down here named Rusty that started a hamburger chain. He was doing working for a guy in a hamburger place in California when he was young, and they just picked up and left California and moved to Ecuador back in the 70s. And he said, hell, we're going to start this hamburger chain. Well, he's grown that thing into uh, quite an establishment, and he comes and eats lunch with us. He was there yesterday. He's got the only root beer in Ecuador. <laughs> Sound, it sounds great. The hamburgers are supposed to be delicious. I haven't had one yet, but I'm going to one of these days whenever I get out. I don't get out too much. Um, 
but nice group of guys and jack uh jack of course who i've known for more than 25 years from the old days is, is such a he he is a a a real recognized figure in the expat community in the entire country because he's moved so many people in and out all over the country and been over backwards to help people and when the earthquake happened he just free for a couple of months went down and just helped people that he'd moved in on the coast where it was really bad all that stuff and so he jack is very highly thought of down here and uh it's just a nice group it sounds great it sure makes a big difference when you're out of your own space and you're living somewhere where you it's not your culture and it's not your language to have that support group. It's very important. Do you ever hear this story? I'm sure you have, you know, that that earthquake was caused by a rod from God. I have, you know, those, those satellite things you have, huh? Yep. Yep. Don't know whether that's true or not, but Jack was right in the thick of it. Yeah. Who knows if that's true, but I mean, it sounds, sounds plausible to me. Right. Right. Got a little intel on that. Okay. Well, the rod from God is also known as the XB class, that uh, X is top secret, and B is the black budget of the Department of Defense and other agencies, and NASA, never a straight answer, sucking out the money. But the XB-37 and 42 are some of their uh, advanced weaponry of uh, space-based weapons of this XB class, and that's where they have the cold-wave blue lasers that they can supposedly excite uh, seismic and geothermic activity to uh, exacerbate the, and excite the terra firma and the seismic zones into activity to promote earthquakes and volcanic activity. Sounds like Fukushima. Wouldn't surprise uh, me. Fukushima was more likely an underground nuke set off in a seismic zone all uh Let's see the James Bond movie uh, where they did the underground thing. I can't remember which which one it was, but they had the uh, San Andreas faults and stuff, and they set off some nukes down below there to start the earthquakes. But basically the same scenario, but it was actually applied in the uh, situations down south. I think that was a near-10 earthquake that you had down there and uh, produced a monstrous tsunami also. I think it was just a lot to I think it was about six and a half or seven. I wanted to ask uh, Dennis something that just jolted in my mind because I got an IM for Brent thanking me for something I'd sent him. Uh, so, and we can use that in a dual transition segue. Say we got Brent tomorrow. No doubt we can probably talk about some of this, and we might as well promote it a little bit ahead of time. And I can ask Dennis and put him on the hot seat. Dennis, what do you think about E. Michael Jones and his work? I don't know who he is. You're kidding me. I swear to God, E. Michael Jones. Okay, hey, give me a you know, give me a little description of him. He's from around the Midwest. You're part of the country. He was uh, a scholarly teacher, PhD type, and he uh, went to one of the universities down there in Indiana, I think, and started talking about the Jews, and they fired his ass. And uh, ah, well, of, people, yeah. of, of course, uh, you know, grounds for termination here. And so it sent him off on a journalistic career, and for years he's been writing very scholarly. He's very, very Catholic-oriented uh, and, and on this Jewish issue. I will send you an interview. 
have to get on him. Well, I'll have to get uh, on, thank you. Go over. Yeah, you're gonna you're gonna really freak out over this guy, and he's real prolific. He's got a lot of stuff. He's working a lot with young people. All right. Uh, but yep. uh, you can go over to, and the one I was going to send you was just from Friday, okay? And it's interesting because him in, steeped in Catholicism is doing an interview with Rick Wiles, True News, Protestant broadcast on this issue. And it's very symbolic. I was talking about it the other day. It came up. The first time I've seen the Catholics and the Protestants come together on ver- almost anything. All right. Yeah. Go to yeah. True News, T R U N E W S dot com. True News. And it was Friday's show, and that's almost an hour, over an hour interview with E. Michael Jones. I'll be on it. And I can't remember be- the name of his website, but he's got a website and a publication and quite a following out there and is really having a impact. You're going to really, I'm, I'm, I want to, when you brought that up to me, I, mean, well, I don't know him. Well, listen, when you've watched it, I want you to call back in and tell the audience from your background, your take. Uh, okay. It's not that, and of course, the Protestant oriented folks like us don't agree with all the Catholic stuff, but he does bring out incredible historical facts. He's very well versed. He's been very prolific in his writing and he's very succinct. That's important. Uh, he wrote another book. I remember one of the books is The Jewish Revolutionary Spirit. Go ahead, Chris. I was trying to recall the fellow that's been Jordan Maxwell, yeah, yeah, a.k.a. Yeah. Russell. He's another prolific uh, expositor and uh, former Catholic himself, Roman Catholic, right. uh, kind of like Michael Jones. He may be Jesuit, don't know for sure. Uh, a lot of people find a lot of things that uh, E. Michael Jones puts out to be exactly truthful and other parts to be a little dubious and uh, maybe giving uh, apologists for the Roman Catholic Church. And so, again, we find the duality of the controlled opposition pointing fingers at one another and uh, exposing the truth of the opposition party is not uh, an unknown consequence. Oh, no, that's it. They've, they've honed that to perfection. Hey, Chris, i got to ask you on your lex, your lexicon. Back. You, you, you used a phrase right there, Roman Catholic. Does that mean everybody over there is a bunch of noodles? <laughs> well, no, I, I think more accurately that uh, Ra being the sun god, the, Ra, the sun god men, which is where the Roman Catholic Christ, uh, Church comes from, the synagogue of Satan, the sun and moon washing Talmudist, I think that's where they emanate from, and they just change the name. Uh, whether it's Rome or Rom, I can't tell you. But, you know, we've twist the words, and that's what Mussini in the letter from Albert Pike, uh, they talked about was taking over this country through the changing or twisting of words, which is what attorneys do. And taking over of institutions. Uh, well, I, you know, I think that that little, and I'd heard that before, but I know Dennis is so well-versed in it, that Iglesias and the uh, the other guy were were conversos. That just makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, yeah, I mean, but there's there's been many more since then. That's that's where I'm trying to I'm having trouble putting it together. But I mean, this the, the whole Illuminati thing seems to have started in Spain rather than in uh, Munich. You know, I don't know. I don't know if that's true or not. I think but, it was uh, a, con- a c- convergence of a lot of different things that were very historically important. The the Inquisition in the- Spain, obviously. Mm-hmm. At the same time, 
you're you're talking about what was going on over there in Constantinople with uh, Jacob Frank. Okay, and 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 the persecution oh. and them having to not voluntarily wanting to go into the closet, but kind of being somewhat forced to, and then seeing the natural attributes that it would offer them. I, it seems like it just was a, a convergence of several different things that came to that point of the founding of the Illuminati, uh, Dennis. Now, have we talked yeah, about the Holy sure. Grail? Have you and I talked about the Holy Grail? Um, a little bit, maybe. I, well, I can't you, remember. I, you know, I've got it. What do you mean? I've got it. You're holding on to it? <laughs> I have it. All right. Well, let's have a drink. Well, I, 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 we, I, we can do that. I'd love to do it. Um, it came to me. It was given to me in Argentina back in 2013. Now, the day it all, it was about a 10-day process, but the day it accumulated was May the 1st. Okay, now, uh, May the 1st of 2013 is when this happened. Okay, and I was fighting the accident I had because they'd lost my paperwork and they'd lost me for a couple of years and they finally found me and all that was coming to a head. That was very serious. And I had had this very serious ro romantic relationship with an Argentinian girl and I was being jacked around by her 19 year old daughter. Okay. Basically. No and so it was two of these things coming together at a head. And because I was dealing with her, and all of a sudden, after we'd been dating for two years, she couldn't understand me anymore. And so I said, well, I'll make damn sure you understand me. And so I had a guy that was a shaman in training that I had, been, had taught me. had been my Spanish teacher for a little while. And he'd married an American gal and lived in the States for six years, and he knew the language and the culture. Okay. And so I went over to him, and I was going to use him to write a letter and communicate with her because she couldn't understand me anymore. Um, so he and I spent, he's very busy because he's, he's real good at what he did. And I, I could only get him for a few hours a week, and I was paying him, you know. And so I had yeah. him in one of these sessions, and we were discussing the situation that she was in. And I was explaining it to him. And in the middle, and he had to go in a minute. So it was right at the tail end of the time I had him, okay? And so I'm explaining this to him, and I'm and in the process, he goes, that's power. And I went, you know, to myself, I went, what? I, I don't want to leave. He's leaving. I want to finish this story, but I don't want to lose that thought, that kind of deal. So it's one of those, you yeah. grab it out of thin air and put it in your back pocket, okay? And I finish my story. And he says, that's what you did with your affidavit. You stole their power. Hey, I got to go. And boom, takes off and leaves me with that. And, <laughs> and I start thinking, and I grab a piece of paper, and the subconscious, the good Lord, gave me this phrase that had stuck in my mind in all the reading I'd done years ago on Freemasonry. Do you know the <coughs> Freemason's motto? I do not. It's public. It's right out there. I read it, and it didn't make sense, and it stuck in my mind. That's what happened. And then all these years later, bam, this incident. This is how the Lord, I guess this is how God works, okay? And so, 
At that moment, that phrase comes back to me. The Freemasons' motto, publicly stated worldwide, first a line, then another line, then a square. That's the Freemasons' motto. Do you want to interpret that? I'm marking it down. <laughs> first a line. I'm glad. I'm glad you got a piece of paper because I'm going to explain it to you. And that's what came yeah. to me in this situation on that. I, 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 mean, I, I know they're, you know, on that they're day. based in uh, geometry this, and stuff. So. This is so slick, man, and it's so simple, and it's so powerful. Yeah, I think okay. I've heard you say it before, but please okay. do it again. All right. The Freemasons' motto, first line, then another line, then a square. And I start putting it on paper, and because I got all this training and stuff all these years researching this stuff, it was just given to me, okay? First line. What's the first line? So take your paper right there, Dennis, and draw the right, right side of a triangle. Okay? Okay. And label it 14th Amendment. Okay. Now draw, that's the first line, first line. Yeah. Then another line. Draw the other leg of the triangle down and label it Federal Reserve Act. Okay. Then a square. Well, what's what's a square? Well, most people think that a square is a geometric shape, but in drafting terms, a square closes open lines. So the square is the third line of the triangle. Okay. And right in there, U.S. national. Or better yet, citizen of the United States and resident. Okay. <laughs> okay. Now, because when you remove the line, that's U.S. national. So there, you're in a three-sided conceptual trap. And that's why yeah. what I found works is because when you submit the paperwork to the Secretary of State, it's all based on fraud and presumption. They have to recognize it, and the third leg of the, of the conceptual trap is erased, and you're out. So if you take out the baseline, then you're a U.S. national. Yep. Okay. And that's why it works. Hey, never. Now they take that. Hold on. Hold your thought just a second, Chris. Now they can take that. It's also phrased, and we know it as the Hegelian dialectic thesis, antithesis, oh, yeah. synthesis. Same thing, see? And they can take that conceptual trap and cookie cutter it and use it anywhere they want to. I that like is it. the Holy Grail. Okay. Yeah, I I see what you mean. Okay, Chris, what were you going to say? Well, you started that converso or that changeling talk there, talking about the motto of Illuminati. No. However, there's no. a couple of other groups of mottos. Go ahead. I'm not sure. I was talking about Freemasonry. Yeah, there's some. I, Freemason. Uh, yeah. My. You repeat yourself. That's okay. <laughs> Freemasons, by the way. I apologize. Didn't mean to misstate purposefully. However, we also know that the Mossad's motto is "By deception we shall do war." And then Yale Skull and Bones. This is one that's very little talked about. Their motto is "Weeding spiders and are not here." However, the reverse of that is it states clearly that the weaving spiders exit from there by doctrine of infra. 
And so when you understand that the skull and bones, the 322 cult, which man adds up to seven, uh, that's the perfect number of the demon god, uh, they operate out of that thing, and most all those uh, CFR members, the UN, if you will, uh, the foreign dual agents, all go to Yale University or Harvard uh, School of Economics and other locations. So it's a very evil, wicked web they weave when first they practice to deceive. Yeah, no doubt. They've taken those good Christian institutions that were originally set up and totally demonized them, as usual. That's their M.O. By overpopulating them with their own kind. Yep, 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 yep. You know, it's, it's, you know and, and they say that they're smarter than uh, Euro-Americans, but that's not true. It's been proven to not be true. You know, it, it, you know it's crazy. 1.3% of Jews on the Supreme the, Court. They're that's craftier. terrible. How about they're craftier than the average? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, which which is a Jesuit trait, by the way. Yeah. Well, that is certainly a Jewish trait. I mean, you know, I heard recently, oh, I saw it in a video. I mentioned it a couple of times on the air, and it was uh, somebody that had put together a video of this new battalion of students and military that they've got over there that are police on the Internet, right? And, yeah. and the lady, it was one of these bull dykes, that was the head of the division was up there talking to the class and she's going, we've got to be crafty. We've got to be sneaky and deceitful. And I go, well, what the hell else is new? I mean, you know, yeah. you only been doing it since oh, the yeah. days of Christ for God's sakes. Yeah. As they said in uh, the movie JFK, it's as old as the crucifixion. Yep. There you go, man. So anyway, the nice I mean, thing it, is, I'm, I'm always, amazed. I'm always amazed at that, that they use murder assassination and such as a tool yeah they do you know I mean, and and uh, i won't say anymore but uh speaking of i understand somebody sent me a story last night i hadn't seen it pop up anywhere else uh but that doesn't mean it's not true um that here's the headline epstein's private banker found swinging from a rope the fbi <laughs> the fbi yeah. is clueless i'm sure yeah <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? Oh. Now that one, they can't get rid of that one. It keeps popping up. Thank God that that thing's keep popping up. And there's the guy that supposedly, have you heard about his IT guy? No. He hired an IT guy, Kessler, I think was his name, and he's got a bunch of that stuff stuffed offshore and is blackmailing, wanting a billion dollars or something, or else he's going to release it. So that's percolating in the background. Don't know whether that's on the... Up and up or not. But, you know, Prince Andrew's getting gorged over there. Dershowitz oh. is getting brought up again. Thank God, that piece of absolute human garbage. Oh, isn't he terrible? Yeah. God, I can't stand that creep. There's a another recent demise that's worthy of mention. Uh, I believe her name was James. I'd have uh, to look back yeah. to tell you her first. No. Jennifer James. Yep wrote a book called Malice, exposing the deep, dark state CIA's takeover of the medical mafia and yep, using vaccines. it as a weaponized. And she uh, allegedly committed Mossadicide via two gunshots to her head, colored as suicide. Yep, that's just happened in the last couple of days. I didn't even have a chance to talk about it. <laughs> she had a very fast finger. Yes. No, it's the recoil on that pistol. <laughs> You know, it's like okay. a Glock. There's no safety, you know. Bam, bam. They're just, those things are quick, you know. Yeah, yeah. 
Dennis, I fired a fully automatic Glock pistol. I didn't even know they made them. Okay. But I had that occasion when I was in Argentina. I don't know if I told you about that. You knew about it down to go down to Golden Stag Safaris with Pete. Oh, yes. You told me that. Yeah. Well, he took me out. That guy had two gun cases, um, safes, a chock full of guns. And he took me out. And he goes, I got this little Glock here. I usually don't like Glocks, but I took this one. He to have all these wealthy Argentinians. There's a lot of money down there, some of those big estanches and those big farms that wanted to come hunt, and they couldn't afford it, and they'd trade him out some of their weapons. And that's how he got a lot of that stuff. And he, huh. had, a, he had a heck of a collection, buddy, I'm telling you. And, but he said, I'm, I'm going to let you fire this one. And he pulled that Glock out of there, and it looks like a pistol, but it's got this apparatus that unfolds and makes it like a little machine gun. And all of a oh sudden, you got a Glock pistol with a 20 something magazine that's gone. Okay. They didn't make yeah. very many of them, evidently. It was real cool. I was real, I felt real privileged that he let me do it. Now, the one that I didn't get to shoot, I was, he was going to let me shoot it. Now, I've got pictures of it. I can back this up. Um, he paid $250,000. For a cut by the finest gun maker in the world outside of uh, uh, over there in Austria somewhere, outside of Vienna, I think. A custom three barrel rifle. There was a 20 oh. one barrel was a 20 gauge, the other barrel was one of those European uh, uh, calibers, and the third barrel was a 22. And it was in an elephant skin case, and the stock was black. Uh, Italian uh, the stock probably cost twenty five thousand dollars raw. Honestly, it was Italian black walnut, and yeah, yeah, and man, that thing was so cool. He, I held it all right, and we were supposed to go to the range and shoot. It was late in the afternoon, and his guide was going to meet us out there. And he and I got talking, and it got too dark, and it started raining, and I never did get to fire it. But the guide told me, he said, "Man, he doesn't let anybody shoot that gun." Okay, but he's going to let me fire it, and I I did nice. hold it. All right, I've never in my entire life held anything in my hands like holding that weapon. Just perfect balance and everything, huh? Yeah, the feel, honestly, the feel that you got and looking at that in your hands, it was just spectacular. And then he had gone to the same guy and paid five hundred thousand dollars for a another one. That was a twin fifty caliber side by side to go hunt rhino and elephant and stuff, and he paid uh -huh. half a million for that, and he died before he could get it into the country. Oh boy! But he gave that Astancia and everything in it to his partners in the law firm and the guide because he didn't have any heirs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. Yep, spectacular place. I'm another. I mean, actually. I'm actually in a shooting group that is shooting right now between 11 and 12 on Thursday. So I, I gave it up today. Yeah. Oh, well, thanks. Well, I'm really glad you just spontaneously called in and to hear from you and get to know you're doing good. And I'll tell you about some of these things that might help you do better. Uh, it's just Thank really, you. Yes, I appreciate that. Well, yes. I'm hoping one of these days you and I'll be able to share a bottle of Malbec or something. One of these places, either in Miami I, or down here, one of the two. I agree. 
I agree. I've, I've got to get back down there. I love Ecuador. I've been there three or four times and actually and lived there for four months, like I told you. You know, one place you have to go when you feel good enough or when you can travel is at Vilcabamba. Yeah, Vilcabamba is good. Vilcabamba. I, I have. Yeah. It's very and, similar. I mean, it's about 30, 30 miles north of the Peruvian border, but it's really fun, Roger. It is, it's very similar to where I am between Quito and Kumbaya. And you've got yeah. whatever, Viocabamba and whatever the other city is over there. I can't remember the town. It's a university town. I forget what it is, yeah. But uh, it's the same thing. You know, next door, Quito, I can see it. I can walk out my front door and see the north end of Quito there as it comes over the hill, the affluent area. Yes. But yeah. But you go up there and the difference in temperature, the difference in everything is just dramatic. But down here, <coughs> man, it's just like paradise, really. And what amazes me, Dennis, about this place, the mornings, 90 to 95% of every morning is just postcard beautiful. And if there's moist air in the area in the afternoon, it'll cloud up, which is a lot of times a blessing because at 8,000 feet, the sun's too hot. Uh, it, yeah. it can get real hot at 8,000 feet in the afternoon with no clouds. Uh, but um feels hot and you're getting all those extra UV rays when you're in it. But uh, in the afternoon, generally, you get some clouds or some rain or something. But the mornings are every one of them are generally spectacular. Very few are not. I loved it. I loved it. Yeah. I haven't been to Cuenca yet. Uh, heard a lot of nice things about it and heard some negative things about it. A lot of liberals down there. I wouldn't doubt that, but I I didn't hang out with any. <laughs> but right. I, I I I loved it there for you know for the the rains, time I was there. It rains more. And we I, got a guy here uh, in our group, a relative newcomer named Bill. He's a little uh, a little bit older than I am actually, and he's from Atlanta. He's, he had, owned a computer company in Atlanta. Really interesting guy. Married an Ecuadorian woman, and they uh, she was from Guayaquil. That's our coastal oh, yeah. port town. Yeah, and. They went and lived in Cuenca for a year or two, and she couldn't handle it. It's too cold. It's up in the mountains, and they do have some cool mornings. But then yeah. the, the afternoon or the late morning, it's all, always nice. Yeah. Always nice. Yeah, and it's south of here, the way the globe is, so it's a little bit colder. And it's we're about the same elevation, but that difference in the southerly latitudes makes evidently pretty big difference i i jack's moved a lot of people in there and they get down there and they want to leave because it rains so much but a lot of it gets a lot more rain than we do evidently yeah yeah it it does i don't know i just, yeah. i don't know if i'd stay there again if i went down there but uh, well boy i'll tell you what if you came see it and, and experience this area you wouldn't uh, but, you know, I think I, I've been over to that area a couple times because I, I'm an Irish citizen besides being a U.S. citizen. And I go over to the uh, Irish embassy there. And uh, the, lady, the lady who uh, runs it, I mean, she's really she's really great. Uh -huh. So I, I've had some good experiences with her. If you want to just say you're Irish, you can go over to the St. Patrick's Day party, Roger. Well, well, they'll, they'll welcome you. Now, if the embassy's not up in Quito, it's down here in one of the valleys? Yes. Yes. So there's two you valleys. There's one on the other side that we call the other valley from here. And then there's yeah. this little area that's really built up recently in the last 20, 15, 20 years. But it's very affluent here, and it's real nice. I like living here. Um, yeah. So, anyway, my situation is real good. I'm real pleased. And, uh, you know, 
uh, that just the way kind of I've been put here, I guess, is where I ended up, and uh, I can I can deal with it. Uh, Very you good. did mention that's something else a minute ago, though, that's pretty interesting. Now, Doug is going to call in. I think Doug's calling in on Skype. Shane called in a minute ago just to sit in there. We hadn't heard back from him. Let's see. Did Doug call in on Skype? No, I couldn't connect him up, so he must have called in on his phone. Well, Doug, you can either call back on Skype or I can reconnect you through the phone. If you want to try Skype, call in. If not, I'll call you back since we can't message each other unless you want to through Skype. So uh, let me know what you want to do there. Um, Dennis, you mentioned something which is pretty important a minute ago, um, that you have an Irish passport. Yes. And that means... Yeah, through heritage, through uh, through ancestry. You know, so it's grandparents. And that, that means that Ireland goes under the law of... Chris, just Tierra? No, just Sanguinus. Just Sanguinus. Okay. And, uh, I don't know what that is. Uh, well, I'm explaining. I'm about to explain it to you, and I was real glad you brought it up. Let me see if I can reconnect okay. Doug in here since he doesn't want to call back on Skype. Um, that There's two ways of, as you said, getting your hereditament. And one is called just sanguineus, I believe is the way it's pronounced. Oh, sanguineus, yes, yes. Yeah. And that means through blood or through hereditament. Right. And the other is called just tierra, and that means through the land. That's birthright citizenship. That's the feudal zone. And that's how they've enslaved us is right there. They yes. brought in yes. that element that comes specifically from the feudal system. And once they got that one element, because it's unique to the feudal system, once they got that one element, they got the camel's nose under the tent and the old camels in the tent with us. Yeah. And they're stinky. They do stink and they smell. Uh, Doug, did we get you on or not? They're also retro Did you know that? They're what? Retromingent. God, I hope so. What I, does that mean? I told you, like, no, it means they urinate backwards. That's all. <laughs> and, and, so, and, and llamas do, llamas do that, and 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 uh, you know, a few of those exotic animals. Interesting. Okay. Yeah, retromingent. Oh, really? Good word. Retromingent. <laughs> I have never heard that word before, and how appropriate it is for that bunch right there. So don't stand behind them. Well, it said Doug was unavailable, so I tried to call Doug back on the number I've got for him, and he was unavailable. This is all due to this new Skype situation, and uh, it's totally 100% beyond my control. All I can do is react the best I can within the parameters that they set down on us, and uh, not being able to contact and patch Doug in. Uh, once again, I encourage everybody to get Skype. It's a, uh, you know, there's only... I know, I know. There's only about probably 40 or 50 million people in the world that use it, uh, and maybe more. And uh, But it allows us to do everything we do seamlessly, flawlessly, and in good fidelity. So that's what I encourage. Shane, how you doing, Shane? you just want to listen in or feel a part of the broadcast, or did you have something to bring us today? Good morning. Thank you, and um, I'm here just for the ride. Okay. Well, hope we won't get too bumpy. Hopefully the springs are in good shape. It won't be too bumpy for you there, Shane. Yeehaw. Yeehaw. Uh, Chris, you got anything else on your plate? 
got to undo the mood, mute again, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just, I uh, uh, had some people listening in on the show. Well, we got about, I got about four words out of what you said. Uh, anyway, my friend that's listening in today, that's the Holy Path spoke with, he uh, probably is talking to Harvey Weissong, too. And, uh, I had sent him the number to listen in on the show, but the call in live show, so he could have been calling in not knowing how to operate the system. So uh, this is just a marvelous conversation. Dennis is a great intellect, and uh, he's got lots of great information he brings to the table. Just really blessed to have him on the call with us well, today. I, I'm, I'm blessed. Thank you, thank you, Drew. I appreciate that. Well, I'm, I'd like to say I was feel, I've always felt blessed that our paths crossed down there in, in Cafayete. And uh, that we've been able to stay friends and in communication all these years. And I was thrilled to death to get him re rehooked up to know he's doing good uh, physically and obviously emotionally. And to tell you, this is one really fun guy to hang out with. <laughs> Thank you, Roger. <laughs> now, we, had a great we had a great time down there. Mm. So let's see what else is I going don't, on. I don't, I, I've only been to Las Vegas one time, and it, it was the a couple days before they had that big shootout there. Oh my you know, God. and something always happens like that wherever we go. You know, so. <laughs> I'm glad you escaped that. Honest, honest to God, I mean, 9/11 happened one week after uh, we were there. You know, <laughs> off at the top of the thing, you know, which is a frightening place to go anyway. Well, damn! Next but, time uh, you, you know, make I've been, Ecuadorian reservations, next time you make Ecuadorian reservations, now I'm going to be nervous. You're dealing with a uh, very significant conspiracy investigative analyst here on the phone, and I can tell you that was a false flag event produced specially, crisis event managed production by the FBI and other agents of the government, and some other uh, worldly intrigues from the Middle East, apparently, of Prince Bandar Bush or somebody uh, up at the Four Seasons Hotel, and uh, there are lots of mysterious circumstances around that so-called Las Vegas Route 91 Harvest Festival shooting. We didn't hear too much on the anniversary. We didn't hear much on the anniversary of it this year, did we, Chris? All of a sudden, it swept under uh, the carpet. It's like, wow, we just can't explain these things. Can we move along, please? Yeah, please, please don't talk about it. We don't want to examine the facts because they refute the not the sensibility about everything. Everything was a lie with the the mob governor of the state, Sisolak, and the new FBI head of uh, director here locally, Jason Aruz. Uh, it was a ruse. <laughs> uh, it's just absolutely absurd. These uh, left-wing extremists of the demon crazy party, uh, what they'll do to promote their anti-gun agenda is just beyond the pale. Well, it's catching up with them, and that's this general consciousness that's rising. And people that look at that, that that may have had some questions before, and all of a sudden that incident, the fact it's never been solved and it's absurd what they put out there in front of the public, go, listen, there's something really wrong here. What else is going on? That's the big question, I think, with people. When they wake up, that was my big question with the tax movement. If they can screw us this bad, this slickly, what the hell else is going on we don't know about? And that's what started my walk down this path. That question right there. 
And, buddy, the answers I've found, it wouldn't curl your hair and make your damn hair drop out, just about. Yeah, I, I believe it. I believe it. I haven't read that new book I just acquired called Secrets of the Temp L. That's the Federal Reserve book, another oh, yeah. expose, along with uh, Secrets of the Federal Reserve by Eustace Mullins and the Rape of Justice and a few others. Um, Secrets of the Temple is more of an establishment version of Secrets of the Federal Reserve, basically. Who, who wrote that? I can't remember the author. It was, it was Secrets of the Temple. Who, who, who was it that wrote that? You, you well, I'm going to have to walk in here and look. It's get very close at my. It's by uh, William Grider. Yep, Grider. G R E I D E R. Yep, 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 yep. Grider. Yeah, I remember when it came out and stuff. Um, it's the death of a thousand cuts. The world's waking up. You know, um, I found this this submission of a of, of documentation to the Secretary of State. Uh, other people have picked up on it. Um, Anna Von Wrights, I guess, we mentioned it the other day. Uh, Winterroot is evidently now on this pretty heavy, and that's okay. You know, uh, it's the death of a thousand cuts, and the more people that understand it, uh, and the more people that react to it and follow through and take action, I guarantee you, every one of them up there that they receive, somebody on the seventh floor's sphincter muscle tightens. Thank God. Okay, I promise you. Oh, Dennis, one of the guys in the State Department, the retired guy, he was with the USAID, I guess. He's a pretty interesting fellow. He's from California. His name's Lars. He's a real nice guy. He's one of these guys that if you met him and sat down and talked with him for a while, he, yeah. you, you'd go, damn, that guy'd make a really good diplomat. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> he really has it, okay? Yeah. And Lars, we were talking about it, and I mentioned something about the seventh floor because I've done so much work in, in this area over so many years. I've picked up some of that jargon, you know. And uh, he said, do you know what we say internally about the guys on the seventh floor? And I said, no. And he said, there ain't no vegetarians up there. <laughs> That's pretty funny, isn't it? Oh, yes. Oh, my God. <laughs> so internally at the Department of State, the, the word on the street is there ain't no vegetarians on the seventh floor. No shit. All they want to do is drink blood. Carnivores. Uh, I like it. Well, it's pretty material for my pocket. The other guy, the other guy is somebody I've I've kind of gravitated a little more to. Lars thinks that he, nah, that can't be right. Uh, actually, what happened? We was at lunch one day and we started talking about it a little bit. And I quoted him, uh, "Alice in Wonderland," the Humpty Dumpty Alice exchange there. And he he had a real shocked look on his face. He said, "That's in Alice in Wonderland." I said, "Yeah, this is the plot of the whole thing." And he said, "I ain't buying it." I was okay. Yeah, you don't have to buy it. It's just facts, you know. But the other guy is much more predisposed. He was only a twenty-year vet of the department, and uh, um, and he's knows something's wrong. And uh, uh, I've I've explained to him what's happening. But he and I've got built a little bit of a relationship. He's come down here, married an Ecuadorian attorney that he met up there 
getting all of her accreditation in the U.S. And then they moved back down here when he retired. And she's got a practice up in Quito. And he, for whatever reason, always wanted to be on the radio. And so he has come down here to Ecuador and started in Ecuador. He's trying to syndicate it throughout the continent now. Uh, a Casey Kasem-type top 40 countdown show in English to the Spanish audience. And he's, 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 got, he's got a little bit of a toehold, actually. Great. So when he found out with all my, my industry background and stuff, he's, you know, we've kind of solidified our relationship a bit. We got another guy down here that I just met two weeks ago for the first time. I heard about him for years. And what I always heard about him, his name is Rockin' Ron O'Neill. And Ron lives up in uh, Cotacachi here north of us, next to the Colombian border. A lot of Americans up there. And I know uh, it well. Do you? They oh, like yeah. It. Yeah, people like Cotacachi. And uh, anyway, they're ready to move down here. And they were down here looking at properties. And he came to lunch with his wife one day. And Jack had told me about him because I think Jack moved him down here. They've been friends for a number of years. And uh, he was always putting us together, trying to get us to meet. We never could, so we finally got a chance to. But Jack had told me, he said, he's in the Georgia Broadcasting Hall of Fame. And I spent, you know, a number of years in Atlanta in the music industry. And so uh, I kept going, well, Rock and Ron O'Neill, hell, I, I never, I've never heard that name. You know, I've and I kept thinking, well, where was he, Augusta or Savannah? Or He sure wasn't in Atlanta. And so when we got a chance to meet, I said, well, you know, I, I went up to him. at There's uh, 10, 15, 10 people there that day, maybe more, and everybody's eating, having their conversations. I went over and crouched down by his table, and we introduced. And I said, I got three names for you. Jimmy Davenport. What were the other ones I mentioned? Jimmy Davenport, uh, uh, Bill Drake, and Boo Boo Barron, Chucky Boo Boo Barron, who was a jock that's pretty famous in those in that area in those years for being like lunatic. I mean, this guy's like <laughs> he was the only white guy on the air at WGIV, the black station in Charlotte, and he was the afternoon drive jock at a black radio station. Okay. He's really a unique character, all right? But, of course, he didn't know Chucky Boo Boo Barron, but he did know the other two. And we got into a nice conversation. I said, well, where'd you work in Georgia? He said, hell, I never worked in Georgia. I was just born there. <laughs> and his daddy was in the Air Force. He was stationed down there and born. But he had a big-time radio career on the West Coast. Uh, uh, K KFA, I think, is in San Francisco. Uh, and, and he was out there for a long time. And did a lot of big-time radio work, but one of the things that was arrow in his hat, I was mentioning it to Paul the other day because we've talked about it a couple of times, the guy that put us on the air and lives in England. He was one of the big jocks on pirate radio over there back in the 60s when they started doing pirate radio off those ships in the English Channel. So he was one of those big guys kind of. But anyways, to, to a nice group of expats here. I'm, I'm real pleased. It's the way to get to know the world and what's really going on, I think, to be out there with people from other places. Yep. Especially, yep. you know. Gives you a lot. Yeah. We've got another guy down here named Doc Holliday, uh, who is <laughs> a very famous jazz musician. He used to play for Count Basie and, 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 and all, the, all the big band guys. 
Uh, he said, yeah, I was in a band with Quincy Jones, and I were in there, and he starts rattling off all these names, and he's a real nice guy, too, and what a legend he is. Chris, you were going to say something? Well, I was just going to say, uh, you were talking about the radio experiences and stuff. Well, I did a little radio stint down in Lawton, Oklahoma, at Fort Sill location on KLAWFM Stereo Radio there at Lawton, Oklahoma. Uh, and this is, this is such an interesting uh, situation. You're talking about uh, Ron and, and others on the radio. Uh, this is a whole different genre. It, it's the theater of the mind that I think you've observed before on there, and uh, that magical voice on the radio uh, and spinning those platters and songs that take you back to yesteryears uh, can certainly be a metaphysical alternative experience. It's one of the best mediums out there because it is the theater of the mind, and it's totally different from all those other mediums, and it's just very unique. And I think I've had RF in my blood since I was born, really. must be something about B-negative blood. Uh, but I can remember as a kid in, in New Mexico when we were living in Clovis and I was in junior high school and I'd listen, had one of those little bulky transistor radios and I would listen to get, go to the, you know, I had to go to bed, you know, the parents making you go to bed and I'd take that little transistor and listen to KOMO, uh, out of Oklahoma city, big clear channel station, even though it's not three letter. KOMA. Okay, <laughs> and Coma, Coma, Oklahoma. That's right. And the the one I really remember is Whoopman Jack from Del Rio, Texas, and uh, all, all those on those big nights. You know, uh, I just always been around it since I, I can remember early on. Do you know why Wolfman Jack got out so well, Dennis? Chris? No, no. In the early days of radio, there, before there was the FCC in the 20s, when it was a wild, woolly industry and just anybody could put a radio station up, you know, and it was all AM in those days. And so there was no limitations on power. There's no limitations on frequency, lobes, direction, any of that stuff. And there was a 500,000 watt AM transmitter. Okay. And the the highest allotted after the FCC came in, the highest you can get is 50,000. So it's 10 times the highest allotted power now, okay? And uh, Wolfman Jack had one of those transmitters. It was in, he'd say, the studios were in Del Rio, Texas. But the transmitter was across the Rio Grande in Mexico. Via Acuna. Okay. That's Via Acuna, across, yeah. right across the river, yeah. Yeah, there you go. And now my old engineer, who's from Ch Chillicothe, Ohio, who told me that there's a station, three-letter station in Cincinnati. There's one in New Orleans called WWL. And that's why so many people are LSU fans, because WWL, a clear channel station, has always broadcast those Saturday night games, and they got big coverage up through the Midwest. So from the uh, from the thirties on, you know, they're, they're, the Tigers have been building their fan base that way. The other one that's close is in Cincinnati, and it's called WLW, and that was the one that the radio, that the television show was formed. Remember the K K A whatever that big popular TV show years ago. WKRP. WKRP. Yeah, yeah. This is the station that was modeled, KRP was modeled after, I was told. It was WLW. Huh. Now, WLW had one of those 500,000-watt transmitters. 
And they tell me that if you lived within so many miles of the station that you never had an electricity bill because your lights glowed day, all day long. And if you had a lot of dental work and you opened your mouth, WLW would come out. <laughs> and that was one of the reasons for the FCC. And the FCC, when they came in, it's because the industry was strangling itself. There are three or four stations There's on the same frequency. You couldn't understand what any of them were saying. And so the FCC came in, and they regulated to power and to what hours they could operate, where they had to sign off at midnight or sundown or whatever, and then how they could directionalize their signal at night so that they didn't step on each other. That's a little radio background. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Well, yeah, I taught it for 10 years. Do it in my sleep, you know. <laughs> but uh, so there's a real good example of regulation being used appropriately and coming in and literally not only saving a potentially really viable industry, but also giving it a base to grow on and improve on. Yeah, yeah. Now, what happened yeah. after that, and I was telling Corey, the State Department guy, about this the other day since so wrapping up the program just kind of on this theme. Well, what happened after that, that was in the 30s. When we went around in the 40s, an FM was developed. And, of course, AM stands for amplitude modulation, and FM stands for frequency modulation. And it was a different way of getting the signal from point A to point B. And, but it's got the characteristics of it's much clearer but it only is a line of sight signal. So you can only get coverage on what can be covered by the tower, either the height of the tower or the, the broadcasting frequency. And the differences in FM can go up to 100,000 watts. There's a couple, two or three, maybe four instances in the country where there's a 250,000-watt FM station. One of them's in Raleigh, okay? But they're, they kind of got grandfathered in, you know. But so the FM frequency comes along, and it was new. And most there weren't FM stations in the early days, and there weren't FM receivers. And if you'll remember, people, a lot of people did went and bought from a company called Heathkit, and you'd go get the kit and build it yourself, and you could build a little FM receiver. But there still weren't very many receivers through the 50s. But they were gaining Okay, And in the early 60s, the FCC saw that the FM dial was not being used and understood the problems, and they passed a regulation in 62, I think, called the 50-50 split programming rule. And what it dictated was the, because the radio station owners saw the viability of FM, obviously, but there was nobody out there with receivers yet. And so they went in and got the signals and attached them to their existing FM license. And that's why you see KOMA, FM, AM, FM, and, and all those. But what they would do is they would just turn around and simulcast over the FM band what they were doing on the AM band. So it wasn't improving or enlarging the audience or the usability of FM. And so the FCC passed this 50-50 split programming rule. And what they did was they made stations that had that combination, AM, FM, in I believe it was over markets of over 250,000. 
If you had a station that had that combination in a market over a certain size, you had to devote 12 hours of the day on the FM side to original programming. You could still simulcast for 12, but you had to do original programming for 12. And that set up all the automated stuff. You know, because they didn't have to hire jocks and play classical music. They could go buy a couple of tape recorders and get this automation, and the tape recorders would play everything for 12 hours, and they'd fulfill their FCC requirements. See? So that's what yeah. happened, and that set the stage for, and then the whole music explosion came through in the 60s. This may have been tied in with that, in all honesty. Now that I think about it, I've never made that connection before. But you got the 60s music revolution, and everybody wanted to hear the music good, and that's when FM really blossomed, if you remember right. Say, Roger. Yeah, Chris. Uh, not to give you any particular concerns, I'm sure there are some really good people at the um, USAID, but I had discovered some time ago that it's basically a front-running operation, a forward observer group for the CIA, where they go in and uh, pre-analyze places to see what sort of uh, commodities might be available to be looted and plundered by helping them to bring demon-crazy a government to their locations and to tone down the savage elements. Well, I know they're very nefarious, okay? I know that out front. So Anyway, he's a pretty nice guy. Um, uh, I don't know that we'll ever have any meeting of the minds, but, you know, as a guy hanging around the group, he's in, in, nice to be around and very pleasant. He's real sharp. I can, I can tell you one thing. He's real sharp, okay? So, uh, let's towards the end here. Got a couple of minutes left. Dennis, do you got any other questions or comments, man? I sure appreciate you calling in today. You know, talking you know talking about the CIA guys. We had one at our our club. It was like a you know it was a health club in Chicago, the Lakeshore Club, down eight fifty Lakeshore Drive. It was wonderful. It was great. There were several billionaires who were member members, and then we had handball course there. But there was one guy who was a CIA guy, and he you know he was down in the federal building. And he had no, he had just his name on the door, but you know, cause they're not supposed to be operating in the country anyway. Right, you know? right. so, but you know, I've talked to him a few times and he was a, he was a very pleasant guy, but you know, their main business is lying, you know, so how can you trust anything? Well, you know? this guy here would be a real charming liar. I could see where he could pull that off. Yeah. I think they're taught that one. Yeah. So, and he married an Ecuadorian who's uh, evidently the UN's got a huge presence downtown in Ecuador in Quito and she works at the UN building down there. So don't know much more about it. And he doesn't, he, since he lives up there, he doesn't come down that often, but he's in our group and I see his comments and this, that, and the other, and he's very pleasant to be around. Um, pardon Chris, were you going to say something? Oh, I was just finding humor in his, uh, portrayed persona of non-interventionism. <laughs> well, he may be a nice guy. I mean, he is a nice guy, but he may be a real liberal. I don't know. We haven't had a chance to really sit down and, and bring any super facts out, you know. Uh, but but anyway, he's just a, one of the peripheral guys. But a nice nice group of guys down here. Um, Brent, uh, Dennis, have you heard Brent on on Fridays? Have you heard of some of those shows Brent and I do? Uh, I, I have. Yeah, I have in the past. I think I sure, yeah. Well, Brent. Is he on tomorrow? Yeah, he's on tomorrow. And uh, I'm pretty I know he'll be here because he sent me that message and didn't tell me he wouldn't. 
So we'll have Brent tomorrow. Those uh, probably the most popular show of the week from the audience. Brent brings fabulous information, insight, uh, background history, all that stuff uh, to us on a weekly basis, and we're always happy to have him. And that's a real, real special relationship. Um, so he'll be back with us tomorrow. Don't you be a stranger. You and I are going to talk on the side. I'm going to get back with you on the stem and hands because I really want you Thank to get you. on this stuff. Okay. And I'm uh, going to try and do it tomorrow, but I won't talk as much. Promise. Okay. Uh, and I will, uh, I'll shoot you, uh, so, some information on our Skype connections on, uh, on it where you can go look and do a little research. There's our whistler. Great. So I guess we'll call it a day. Shane, nice to have you on the ride. Doug, sorry. Yeah, well, it's great, Dennis. I did you, our friendship and relationship and the ability to have these types of conversations for everybody. It's just neat. So glad you're back among the living. And uh, we'll see you hopefully tomorrow and often. Um, Thank you. I was going to say to Doug, sorry, I tried to call you back, buddy. Uh, and uh, we'll, I'm sure Doug will get in on us tomorrow. So he likes Brent particularly. So, uh, listen, guys, thanks. been a good kind of let-your-hair-down show today. We discussed a lot of off-subject stuff that's, uh, you know, pertinent to some folks and interesting, if nothing, nonetheless. Dennis, I'll talk to you soon. You guys have a great day. We'll be back tomorrow with Brent. Thank you. Thank you. Hasta la vista. And la vega. Hasta la vista and la vega. Swallow you, lay your body down. Find the cost of freedom, buried in the ground. Mother Earth will swallow.